You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Let me just get right to it. I imagine after the last week or so, there are many people who are saying, I never, never want to talk to a blank voter again. And it's hard to, hard to blame them on some point, right? Like, this last election has been so tense, so fraught, so anxiety-producing that our emotions are so tensed up about the other party, the other person, the other candidate. So perhaps we're saying, I never want to talk to a blank voter again. I want to talk to you this morning about why that's a bad idea and also why that's an unbiblical idea. There's a recent article in the U.S. News and World Report I was reading uh, talked about some family stories. And if you're seeing a little head bobbling up and down in the distance, it's my family. <laughs> when a lifelong Democrat told her 21-year-old son five months ago that she was voting for President Trump in the presidential election, he cut off communication with her. He said... You are no longer my mother because you're voting for Trump. One woman separated from her husband because he voted for Trump in 2016. Two of her grandchildren no longer speak to her because of her support for Hillary Clinton. And she has also become estranged from other relatives and friends who are Trump supporters. These are true stories. Another Democratic voter said her brother disowned her after she refused to support Trump four years ago. And listen to this. Listen to this. The mother suffered a stroke, but the brother who lived in the same California city as her mother did not let the sister know when the mother died six months later. She was told the news after three days in an email from a sister-in-law. In interviews with 10 voters, five Trump voters, five Biden voters, both all parties said that they could see wrecked personal relationships in their lives and couldn't imagine them fully healing. They believed them destroyed forever. And of course, this is a small sample size, but it's not hard to imagine these outcomes happening amongst almost every relationship in families across the country. And I just got to say, like, this is painfully tragic and awful. I mean, my own son, right? He's running around here. Can you imagine in 20 years when he's a voter, me saying, I'm not going to talk to you again, or him saying to me, conversely, the other? And while the immediate implications of severed relationships can often be understood, I mean, of course, you're not talking to them or something, I'm not sure we always think about the long-term implications of such brokenness. The story of the ancient patriarch Abraham 
comes to mind. So Abraham is seen as the originating uh, figure of three world religions, Christianity, of course, Judaism, and Islam. But he's a prominent example of what can befall, the tragic things that can befall a relationship, a family, even a nation, when relationships remain broken and shattered. So setting aside, if you remember the story of Abraham, he gets called by God to leave his home country and travel to a a faraway land, leaving his family behind. Like setting that aside, there's also the idea, if you know the story of Abraham, he goes with his nephew Lot to a new land, and, and almost immediately they get into conflict between their livestock and their workers, and they separate. Then there's the story of Hagar, an Egyptian servant of Abraham's wife Sarah, who gave birth to Abraham's child when Hagar, uh, Sarah gave, gave, and there's a whole lot of loaded stuff there that uh, we'll save for another time, but Abraham uh, gave, I can't say it because it's so messed up, uh, but there's a lot happening there. Uh, Hagar gives birth to Abraham's son, okay? And in a jealous rage, Abraham's wife, Sarah, throws Hagar out and her new son, Ishmael, out of the camp. Abraham's two sons, Isaac, uh, he later has a son with his wife, Sarah, Isaac, and then Ishmael become the father of two people groups, Ishmael, the Arabs, Isaac, the Jews. And this process of emotional cutoff established in a family can intensify through the generations. And the cutoff that is present in this family continues to be felt generations, generations down the road in our current Middle East. I mean, can you imagine doing that to your family, to your son, to your children? Whether it's a family, a relationship, even a nation, cutting off and abandoning our relationships will almost certainly lead to further pain, dysfunction, and brokenness down the road. In short, we're trading, we are trading momentary comfort for long-term distress. I mean, I know it doesn't seem that way, because in the moment it feels just good to tell somebody off or to say, I'm never going to talk to you again, I'm never going to call you again. But it leads to long-term distress. you got to trust me on this. Cutting off and abandoning our relationships now will almost certainly lead to further pain, disruption, and agony down the road. Trust me on this. But what else is there to do about it? Well, let's, let's talk about it. For starters, I believe, we can look to the example of Jesus. I know, Jesus, right? Surprise, surprise. Jesus is described as the avenue through which God reconciles humanity to himself, to God 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20 say it this way. It's written, All these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the word to himself, the world to himself, 
Through Christ, by not counting people's sins against them, he has trusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors who represent Christ. God has given us, you and me, the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation speaks to restoring, returning to a relationship that was lost. The word ministry talks about a task, a calling, a duty, a job, we might say. As followers of Jesus, it's our job to reconcile relationships just as God has reconciled the relationship with us. Now, before I move on, as important as reconciliation is, I do want to give two important caveats. First is that having listened to uh, the voices of black, indigenous, and people of color in this nation, I'm aware that in almost all circumstances, in the vast majority of circumstances, there is no right relationship to go back to. Right relationships still need to be formed. Second of all, I'm not asking you, when I'm talking about reconciliation, I'm not asking you to go back into abusive relationships. I'm not, uh, I'm not asking you to maintain a relationship where the other person just refuses to be respectful or considerate or even civil. Not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to maintain a relationship with, with someone who refuses to, to recognize your humanity, who you are as a person. That's not what this is about. And while I, I'm sure we've all met someone or been in contact with someone who at some point has treated us in this way, been abusive, refused to recognize us and validate us as a person for who we are, I think the vast majority of the time, at least most of the time, many of the relationships we've chosen to abandon is because it felt like in the moment it was the right thing to do. Spoiler alert, it's not. Almost never is. Almost never is. As one author has said, when cut off, cutting off relationship becomes an established an established way to manage anxiety in relationships. It becomes easier and easier to walk away from other important relationships in our lives. So what can we do? What can we do? How do we find conciliation in our relationships? How can we end the bitter polarization in our nation? I believe that it starts with you and it starts with me. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about managing our anxiety and finding serenity in these tumultuous times. We've been talking about the idea of family systems theory and how we can utilize tools from that teaching to bring more peace and uh, tranquility, serenity, to our lives. Perhaps the most fundamental truth of this whole way of thinking is that we can't change someone else. We can only change ourselves. I can only reconcile a relationship by myself seeking reconciliation. I can only seek an end to polarization by seeking peace. I can only work for conciliation by seeking 
right relationship. And please know this. I am not asking you to sacrifice your values, your beliefs, your deeply held thoughts about yourself in the name of some kind of milk, toast, bland, boring, you know, vanilla relationships. Like, that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Rather, it's about being, being able to be who you are and say what you believe in a respectful and civil way, hearing the other person, hearing the other person, yet being able to maintain your own thoughts and opinions while staying in a relationship with them. That's what this is about. And a simple way to do this is to separate our thoughts from our feelings. Separate our thoughts from our feelings. When speaking with someone who voted for the opposing candidate of ours, we may, we may feel threatened or attacked when we hear them talk about why they supported that candidate. Again, it's not inconceivable that someone we know and love feels differently than us. We probably all know someone in our lives who voted differently than us. And I'll, let me be frank here. If you don't know someone in your life who votes differently than you, you need to find someone in your life and put them in your life. I'll just be frank here. And again, in conversations with such a person, the reality exists that they could speak to you in a way that is disrespectful and uncivil. Yes. But I think a lot of the times, what we're feeling is different than what they're thinking. And if we can recognize our feelings, that maybe, maybe it doesn't feel good to hear our own ideas countered. Maybe we're uncomfortable having this conversation, right? It's, it's uncomfortable having these kind of conversations. And maybe we're scared of what they might say. But we can begin to think that maybe that other person also doesn't like to have their ideas countered. Maybe they feel uncomfortable having this kind of conversation. Maybe they're scared of what we might say, right? And we're, and we're able to do this. We're able to think and process rather than just react We've been able, we've begun to take the first steps in recognizing the other person as a human being and worthy of our relationships. I, I know as, as, as I'm recording this, uh, literally, Joe Biden has literally just been uh, projected as president-elect of the United States. And I know there's a whole lot of celebrating and uh, rejoicing, and I'm all for uh, people living and choosing and behaving and, and being rejoicing. There, there's a lot of pain and suffering uh, for many people over the past four years. But I, I can't help but think about uh, the ways other people felt four years ago. And just, I want us to think about, like, if you're a Trump supporter and you're feeling this way today, or you were feeling this way when the, the call was made that Joe Biden was president-elect, if, 
think about how you feel and think about how that's how a Biden supporter felt four years ago. Conversely, if you're a Biden supporter, all that elation, all that joy, remember that pain you felt four years ago and how you're, they're feeling today. And I know these are hard conversations. And of all these sermons, of all these messages in the sermon series, like this is probably the most controversial. Look, I get it's easier to just cut people off, to say I'm not going to have anything to do with this person or the other, to run away and hide, to storm off in a huff and be done with it. It's easier just to write people off. But like, let's do the math. Do we really want to write off 70 million people? Or conversely, 74, 75 million people? Like, do we really want to do that? We just want to say, like, half the country, I'm not talking to you? I don't. And furthermore, I don't think we should as followers of Jesus. And please, if you hear nothing else from me today, hear this. And maybe it's a little hard to hear it right now, but hear this if you can. Cutting people off in your life does not solve anything. It does not solve anything. It only makes matters worse. Like, do you think we got here where we are with the polarization in our country? Like, do you think that's helped anything? Look at the example of Abraham's family. Look at the, our nation. Again, do we really think we're better off than this? Do we really think having son and mother not talk to each other is good? Grandmother and grandson not seeing each other? Like, this is not good. It's just not. Like, and I, I say this as someone who kind of grew up in this kind of culture. Like, I grew up very conservatively a very conservative Christian in a culture that was all about cutting off people, labeling people as evil, as wrong, as people you should stay away from and not associate with. And we just do things over by ourselves in our own corner. And having been there, I can tell you it's boring. Like, it is boring. It is lonely. It is isolating. Like, any cultural reference you make, like just, just assume I'm not going to catch it <laughs> because I grew up in my own corner. I don't want that for anyone, even for someone who voted for the opposing candidate as me. I believe that reconciliation is possible, but it's got to start with us, with you and with me, following the way of Jesus taking on the task we've been given to do, the ministry of reconciliation. Bringing right relationships to our families, our communities, even our nation. It starts with us. A few weeks ago, I had lunch with a, a guy who we disagreed on a whole host of things. I mean, big, important things, too. Like theology, politics, human sexuality. I mean, we probably had more we disagreed with us. I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. We disagreed on a lot of things. 
But we had lunch. We shared conversations. We, we, we shared our opinions. We talked boldly and strongly, respectfully and civilly. But at the end of the lunch, we left with a mutual respect and appreciation for one another. Why? Because we weren't afraid to say what we believe in a passionate but respectful way, and we were willing to listen, yes, to listen, and consider the thoughts and opinions of the other. And chances are, no, with almost 100% certainty, neither one of us walked away from that lunch table having changed our mind on anything that we talked about. But that wasn't the point. We'd begun to build a relationship. The ministry of reconciliation. That's our job, I believe. Let's pray. God, I think about the pain and joy and emotions of so many people in our nation. And maybe by now they've died down or settled down, but they're still there underneath the surface. God, and, and as we bemoan the polarization in our nation, in our families, in our communities, in our relationships, change starts with us, God. God, I just pray that me, us, I would have the courage to seek reconciliation in relationships that I've walked away from, written off, cut off. I pray for our healing, for my healing, our relationships, our nation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.